Giuseppe Verdi, meantime, for another edition of Serie A Sit Down. World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is, and of course, always at the highest hey, level. Uh, I'm your host, Giuseppe Frank Ravello. Glad you have clicked on and down. given us a listen. Uh, along with me, as always, co host Richard like Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. Uh, I'm doing quite well this evening. How are you? I, I didn't ask how you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, how how are you? How are you, Richard? I'm well. I'm very <laughs> okay. well. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing. I'm 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 doing just fine. Thank you. I'm doing just fine. Uh, yeah. See, you wanted to uh, interrupt uh, uh, the Giuseppe Verdi music with the NWO stuff again. I'm I'm surprised you didn't have something like "I'm Too Sexy" by Right Right Said Fred or something that's going to continue <laughs> to stroke your handsome ego, especially especially when you had Rocco on. Um, went right back to the NWO stuff. So, and by the way, it's great to hear Rocco uh, doing the recording from Niagara Falls. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little technical difficulties, but we got at least we got to say most of it. Uh, technical difficulties. Gotta love the, gotta love that kind of stuff. I can never leave you alone. That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. Lesson learned to you. Yeah, yeah. That's let that be a lesson to me. Don't get sick. But uh, uh, for the two of you on Twitter that wished me, missed, wished me well, thank you. Uh, I feel better. Um, I just got uh, just got destroyed by an awful sinus cold, uh, the likes of which I've never dealt with, and. Uh, basically the day we were going to record, I had no voice. Uh, so, um, that was obviously hard to do a podcast if I don't have a voice. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but, uh, I'm back and, uh, ready to get at it. And, uh, on this edition of Celia, I sit down, uh, we're going to recap Italy, Portugal in the nation's league, and we'll pretty much uh, put a bow on Italy's nation's league performance under Roberto Mancini. Uh, we have some news. Uh, Beppe Marotta is uh, not going to be in the unemployment line for long. We'll talk about that as long as, as well as some uh, coaches who are also not collecting unemployment anymore, along with the coaches that are. Uh, and uh, we'll finish it off with a preview of match week 13. And I believe we have uh, some listener questions that we will uh, try to get to uh, as well. So, uh, let's, uh, jump into this with what went down at the San Siro in Milan, uh, Italy taking on Portugal. Um, the, uh, possibility of Italy winning this group and qualifying for the semifinal stage in the summer. Um, let's just say, so you're saying there's a chance and that's about it. Italy had to, uh, Probably the best scenario was for them to win this game by two goals uh, and for Portugal to fail to win against Poland. Um, had they won by one goal, uh, Portugal would have had to have lost uh, to Poland. Uh, those would have been the uh, scenarios for Italy to achieve qualification um, in, the, uh, uh, in, the, in the Nations League into the semifinals. So, um, you know, Richard, let's start with the team that... Uh, Roberto Mancini put out. Uh, it was not terribly surprising considering how they performed in the uh, previous round of games, uh, the uh, friendly against the Ukraine, and then, of course, the win at Poland. Uh, not a whole lot changed. Gigio Doronuma was in goal. Uh, a back four of Alessandro Florenzi, Leonardo Manucci, uh, Giorgio Chiellini, uh, Cristiano Beraghi, uh, a midfield that Mancini seems to be settled on now, Jorginho in that pivot. Uh, with Marco Verratti and Nicolo Badella, 
Barella flanking the, flanking Jorginho, and then uh, Insigne and uh, Chiesa getting the nods on the flanks again. Uh, but uh, he goes Immobile instead of Bernardeschi uh, for this one, uh, which uh, Bernardeschi's not even with the team, so that's probably why Immobile got the start. But yeah. uh, you know, your reaction to uh, when you saw the when you saw Mancini's lineup. You know, uh, the lineup that I stuck that came out with. For the most part, I was pretty happy. I mean, uh, Florenzi is not always the, the the person I would choose to be at right back. However, uh, that midfield that we we love so much was there intact. Um, you got to love the front three with the with the with the youngster Chiesa up top and uh, Insigne Immobile obviously. And uh, so overall, I like the I like the lineup. Like I said, Florenzi is done okay, uh, but I prefer another right back there. there. But um, yeah, it was good good stuff for me, and I was hopeful that uh, they could get a result in this one. Uh, very positive, obviously, knowing that they had to win. <clears throat> excuse me to to secure um, to, to or to have any chance of securing qualification into the semifinals. Like I said, um, so it was a, it was an aggressive approach. Uh, a four three three, obviously. Um, I did not like the Immobile pick. I understand it it had to be done almost by default. Um, Immobile has just not done it for the national team. Uh, it doesn't look like Insigne and Immobile have an understanding and have a partnership in particular. And, and going in uh, to this one, those were some of the concerns that I raised. Uh, curious, uh, curious to see Leonardo Bonucci getting the start in Milan. Um, didn't play in that Milan Juventus match for whatever reason, uh, but does play in Milan. Uh, for the national team and uh, was whistled by any Milanisti that uh, made their way into the stadium for, for much of the first half. Uh, whenever he got the ball, those whistles died down. Um, the noteworthy uh, the noteworthy cap, Giorgio Chiellini, Richard, his 100th cap. Um, but this is an interesting discussion about Giorgio Chiellini. Uh, you know, how would you characterize his career with the national team? What would you, what, what, what kind of descriptions would come to mind? Um, Hard-nosed defender, um, positionally astute, um, great in the air, a real leader. Uh, he he certainly is, and he's, he's as the years have gone on, he's he's stepped that up even more. Especially right now, uh, it, you know, it's obviously been tough times the last year or so. Uh, but he's he's been at the forefront of it all. Uh, he's been there for the good times and the bad times. Uh, it's a great career. I mean, a hundred caps is certainly something you you gotta hang your hat on. Um, not many people can say that, um, and so he he has to go down as one of the one of the best defenders uh, wearing the Azuri colors. Obviously, that that list is long because all the likes of defenders have been in the past. Uh, but you know, he certainly he certainly got his name be mentioned with the rest of them. When you look at though, and here's here's the debate because I see you know I saw rumblings on Twitter about Chiellini, and this is an interesting conversation. Um, you know, a lot of there's some that are, you know, maybe grumble about him a little bit because y- you talk about the history of, de- of Italian defenders in this game and what they've been able to achieve, not just individually as players, but what they've done with the national team and what they've been able to, with the, to accomplish with the national team. Sure. What has he won? You know, and on the one end, that's really harsh because there's been some very bad management of the Italian national team ever since they won the World Cup. Um, but on the other end, that's a question that definitely still has to be asked. I like him in the team now, um, and I like him as the captain now because you have a lot of young players here in this Azzurri 
that need to be shown the ropes of how to conduct yourself professionally within a national team camp, within a national team environment. And Chiellini has obviously done that long enough. Um, but uh, when you go and you look at some of these other, some of the other greats and Cannavato and Nesta have a World Cup, uh, you know, Franco Baresi and Paolo Maldini maybe didn't achieve those heights, but they reached, uh, they reached a World Cup final. They, they reached a, a third place finish in 1990. Um, they, as you know, going back to their club, one one in Italy and one on the continent, um, you know. So I think that there's a little bit of chatter about Chiellini, you know, just because he hasn't been part of those particular teams or, or teams like that, um, where, you know, maybe he comes up short when you're measuring him against some of the great Italian defenders that ever played this game. Yeah, no, and it's fair, I guess, to say that when you you always want to link up titles to see who's done what and everything. Um, but also, you know, what Chiellini has going against him is there's been some great teams that have come about, you know, during his reign, and you can't pin it all on the defender. No, you can't just it's a team effort. You win with a team. Um, granted, there have been some some players here and there that have been able to drag teams to titles. That Italian team was just full of superstars. May not have been scorers, but I mean, they had defenders. You had midfielders. Um, I mean, Pirlo was one of the best players in the World Cup that year, and uh, he was a midfielder, obviously. And so, you know, they, ha- they really didn't have any strikers pulling in strings other than Del Piero and and uh, the random goal scorer they had, like Giannardino. But um, to say that, you know, the people who are down against Chiellini, I think it's really, really unfair. Um, not all the all the, the downfalls from 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 the Azzurri are his fault. He's a defender, and he what he's what he's there for is to, to stop the the opposition, um, and so he he's done his part for the most part. I mean, it's not just him back there. You know, he's got you know one or two or three or sometimes three other defenders there with him, so he can't take all the blame. But I think he's done enough in my eyes uh, to be to go down as one of the one of the better Azuris. Not necessarily not necessarily top you know top two top three, but he's he's in the discussion top ten, maybe top fifteen. Yeah, and definitely going to be definitely always going to be. Um, uh, one of the greats when we talk about some of the great Italian defenders. I don't think I'm going to put him. I'm, I'm going to put him in a tier below. Uh, you know the the you know the Milan defenders and and Fabio Cannavaro. Sure, sure. Some of that's some of that's bias. Uh, but I think that is you know regardless and 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 a lot of that's not his fault. It's you know bad management, uh, underdeveloped players. Uh, you know, a myriad of different reasons why why Italy just struggled ever since winning in, in 2006. So, um, you know, for me, I, I think that he has had the playing career and he has the consist. He's always been a consistent performer. Um, you never hear much from the opposing team center forward uh, when Chiellini is on the pitch. This was the case again on Saturday. Uh, you would you needed to really point Andre Silva out to me. Um, you know, to uh, uh, to show me that he was out there because uh, I, otherwise I didn't know. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's just the way he's been. And he's 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 gone about it. He's gone about things the right way. He's conducted himself the right way. Um, you know, where he's fallen short is the overall accolades in his career. But still, you know, deserves to be in the discussion and deserves to be in the team photo when you're talking about some of the great Italian defenders in history. But certainly going to be a notch below, uh, you know, some of those that are more accomplished. Uh, when you take a look at some of the professional resumes and we put them up against that, you know, yeah, is it harsh? Yes, it's harsh, but it's, it's also a, an unfortunate reality, but 
he's had an exceptional career. I like him as the Azzurri captain now, as I said. And uh, I think, uh, um, you know, I think the young players in that team are going to uh, continue to learn a lot from him. So, uh, so let's see what's going. It was just one of those. Chiellini was one of those topics I definitely wanted to talk about uh, with him getting the uh, the hundredth cap. Um, Portugal countered Richard with uh, Rui Patricio in goal. Uh, and then a back four where there's definitely some uh, steady familiarity. Um, Joao Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, Fonte, and uh, Mario Rui, three of the four with Serie A experience. Um, a midfield three of William Carvalho, uh, Ruben Neves, and Pizzi. Uh, and then the front three of uh, Andre Silva, uh, Bernardo Silva, and uh, Bruma. Uh, for me, Richard, when I saw this lineup, I said, uh, Bruma's the danger man in this game. Uh, he'll line up on the left. Um, if there's a weak link on this back four for Italy, it is Florenzi. Uh, and uh, that's where Portugal are going to get Italy if they do. Uh, and Bruma almost had Bruma had a chance in the first seven or eight minutes of the game uh, that ended up getting blocked. But uh, I thought that he would be the biggest threat for Portugal. And, uh, and he really, he was. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're if you're if you don't look at what the lineups are for for the uh, Zuri, you just look at what Portugal has. You're gonna think, uh, you know, Neves, Carvalho, you know, Bernardo Silva, even Andre Silva are gonna be a danger man. But then when you look at the lineups, like you said, Florenzi is obviously the weak link on the Azuri, and so with that, Daniel Broom is gonna be the guy who's gonna be the most the most active, the most dangerous, and he certainly was in the beginning. Because um, if if you're gonna get by the Azuri, that's the one spot you can get get them at, and uh, early on, they nearly got that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, clearly the way this game flowed, Portugal played for let's get the point, let's clinch the group. Uh, Italy played for we really need to push, we need to go on and win this game um, uh, and, and, and put the pressure on uh, our opponent to go do something. And uh, Yatsuri monopolized the possession, particularly in the first half. Uh, Verratti in particular, very influential. Uh, Nicola Barella was influential, as was Chiesa and uh, Insigne, I think that they were generating a lot of chances. They were generating crosses, putting a lot of pressure on the Portuguese goal. Um, uh, a, an early save from Rui Patricio. Um, Bonucci had a header on a free kick uh, or on a corner kick that he nearly scored on. Uh, so Italy were uh, carving out a handful of chances and were clearly the better team in the first half. Yeah, no, the, Italy was by far i thought this is one of italy's best games in the last you know so many so many maybe the last year or so they uh what they did they did everything but score in that first half i mean they completely dominated um the, the defense and midfield the attack they all looked good together looked like they were all on the same page looked like this is a team that responds well to mancini um the only like i said the only thing that didn't happen was the goal scoring and you know it wasn't if they had some goals there you'd be like oh what a perfect half of the, by the azuri but because they didn't score you got to say you know hey it was probably you know eight out of ten or whatever but um good I, I was very positive what i saw from them not only for this match but also looking in the future what this team can do because this is not your your grandfather's azuri this is a, an attacking attack-minded team um and and that's absolutely a positive one in a, in a must-win game like this this is the Italy that we've been craving for many years. Yes. Um, we hope and, Ventura uh, would bring this in and never did. You know, I, I think Ventura attempted, you know, to have that all-out attacking uh, style or try to have that attractive attacking style. I think the problem with Ventura's teams was there was no balance uh, to what they were doing. And the clearest example is the 3-0 defeat in, Madrid's, in, in Madrid against Spain. 
where he where he went into that game with two midfielders. And, um, you know, I understand what they wanted to do, but you better be darn sure you're going to have uh, superiority in possession of the ball. Clearly, they weren't going to have that against Spain. And it was just a it was it was just a dumb thing to do. But he stuck to that. He stuck to that system and he was very stubborn about it instead of adapting, instead of, you know, playing to the characteristics of his players. And we I had that. I've said that many, many times. Why has Yogi Loeb been so successful? Why has he been in the Germany coach for so long? And I get Germany's having their problems now. But he maximizes his pl- what his players can do. He doesn't try to reinvent a player um, in the national team to fit what he wants. He takes, okay, this is what you do for your club. I'm going to see how this is going to work for the national team. And in a sense, you're seeing this now with Roberto Mancini. Hey, Florenzi, you're right back for Roma. You're right back for Italy. You know, it's it, there's no there's no real radicalization of what's going on here. I mean, you can maybe make the comment Verratti will probably will more often than not play in a double pivot with PSG, but he can he can play in front of Jorginho as we hoped Mancini would do. It's you know he has the characteristics and the qualities to be able to do that. You know, certainly show that in this game. So. You've got that, and then you've got the balance. You know, they're not. You know, there there's a shape, and there's still an organization to Italy. It's not Catanaccio like it was, you know, a generation ago. But you know, the old school way of defending will still show up where it's needed. Um, you know, so that's what you're starting to see with Roberto Mancini's teams. You're seeing that you know, trying to uh, gain superiority in possession, but also being able to do it with some balance, not give anything away, not make anything easy for the opponent when they win the ball. Um, and that's largely what we saw from this Italy team, especially in the first half. Uh, second half comes around. Um, Portugal start to come into the game a little bit more. Um, started to generate some chances. Maybe had a little bit better possession by the numbers than they did in the first half. Italy really struggled uh, to try to get a foothold on anything. And this is where, for me, um, the Immobile selection hurts Italy. Because I, he does not... The connection isn't there with Insigne or, or Chiesa. You know, um, I can't put my finger on it, but uh, um, I would argue that, uh, and let's talk about Immobile real quick here, Richard. I would argue that for all the attacking and for all the possession and for, for all the chances that Italy created, it, Immobile was hardly a part of any of it and might have been one of Italy's worst players in this game. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because he's such a lethal goal scorer in Syria and and in in the European competitions. However, with Zuri, he just it's it's something lacking, kind of like Insigne. Uh, but Insigne has been on in the last you know you know handful of times with the Azuri. Um The connection is not there, like you said, and it seems like the the goal poaching instincts that he has in Syria is just missing, and it almost seemed like they need a person who can hold up the ball a little bit better, so that Chiesa and Insigne can run behind them and get the goals, or at least you know set up the play even further. Um, maybe a, uh, maybe a Kevin Lasagna or even a Zaza or even Balotelli maybe, but it's Immobile. As much as I love him and Balotti, they just can't seem to cut it. At least in the positions they're put in with the Azuri. Yeah, for sure, and it, you know. A lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of people out there on, uh, you know, at least the Milan Twitter uh, were clamming for uh, it's time for Cutrone uh, for the national team. Uh, They've tried everybody else. (laughs) They've tried everybody else and it doesn't work. I mean, this is exactly where you would want. I mean, 
as a Milan fan, I don't want anybody playing for their national teams right now with the laundry list of injuries that Milan have. But this is exactly where you would want Cuzzoni in the Nazionale, uh, where he'd be available to play the USA in, in, in this friendly coming up. Um, but he wasn't selected. So, you know, we, we, you work with what, uh, what Mancini has at his disposal. Um, you know, uh, the disconnect with Immobile and then, uh, we, Mancini made some substitutions. He did go like for like, brought on Kevin Lasagna for Immobile. Uh, not much of an improvement, uh, from, uh, you know, from what we, from what was there. Um, and then uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini coming on for Marco Verratti uh, in the 81st minute. Um, the commentators, the, English, <laughs> the British-speaking commentators in particular, uh, were thinking that it was going to be for Jorginho, who was on a yellow card. Uh, but they make the decision for Verratti, and this had to be just because Verratti was just exhausted. Yeah, and he's a he's a, a workhorse in the midfield. He was he really gave it his all in this one, and uh, you get to see how exhausted he was in normal circumstances. Had he entered energy. Uh, Jorginho would have been a safe play, but uh, when Marco Verratti has nothing left in the tank, it's, it doesn't make sense to keep him out there because that'll only cost you defensively. Um, and Lorenzo Pellegrini almost made it pay off, didn't it? Yeah, he did. He did. He he was uh, uh, he was active. Kind of gave them a little bit of a push. Uh, and then Domenico Berardi coming on for Federico Chiesa, um, which that took place a couple minutes after Chiesa was booked. Um, you know not enough time to really have an influence on the game. Um, but uh, it ends nil-nil. Uh, Portugal win the group, go through to the semifinals of the Nations League. Italy finish second, will remain in uh, zone A uh, for the next time, next go-around Poland, uh, going down to zone B. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's look at it. We, we, we both think that this was one of Italy's best performances in quite some time. But, uh, you know, I think that the best way to describe those 90 minutes, you know, in a vacuum is um, this was a, 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 a heavyweight fighter that wasted all their good and heavy punches uh, in the early to middle rounds and then just didn't seem to be able to have the legs to carry through to the carry through to the rest of the fight. Fortunately, they didn't lose the match. Uh, but uh, wasn't going to have enough in the tank to find a way to win it. Yeah, it was. Uh, I hate to bring up a box analogy, but it's uh, it's certainly like you know, like you said, a heavyweight puncher, you know, trying to not going for the knockouts in early rounds, and then eventually wearing itself out. And then the the veteran team in Portugal, in this case, uh, just did what they had to to get the get the results they needed. And um, yeah, Portugal, they they win in an Italian way that they've been winning in an Italian way with defense and then just countering and. Not the prettiest of plays, uh, football, but uh, they're getting the job done. And unfortunately for the Azuri, because uh, at least they're not getting relegated, but um, it would have been nice to get promoted and go into the Final Four. For sure. Um, how about that with Portugal? Because they have so many talented players and they have so many skilled players. And you think about the clubs that they play for. But when they get to for the national team, they, they're not pretty to watch. Um, no, no. They, they, they're... They're very much a they're very much a throwback as far as national teams go. Is that that's uh, does that surprise? That's a little surprising, isn't it? It's surprising, except they're getting the results, and and yeah. the results is what drives everything, right? Um, the Azuri team, you know, they won the 2006 World Cup. They weren't very pretty to watch either defensively, yes, but uh, offensively, no. And so it was it was similar to that in that respect. And they, you know, they sit back, don't you know, don't don't allow any mistakes, and then they counter, and then. 
you know, if you have either Ronaldo there or don't, you have, you know, Andre Silva or whomever, um, they they capitalize in their clinical usually. So they're doing just enough to get by, get the results. I mean, they're in the Final Four. It speaks for itself. You know, they got far in the World Cup as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's it, it's it's not it's not pretty, but it gets the job done. Yeah, for sure. So they go through. Um, let's start. We're gonna get. We're gonna go. We're gonna do our own player ratings here on this game, Richard. But let's start. Let's talk about Mancini here now, because now we have a sample size of competitive matches. Um, on a scale of one to ten, ten being uh, Arrigo Saki, Marcello Lippi, uh, you know, great the great Italian managers, um, you know, one being Ventura. Uh, what would you give Mancini so far with, uh, with this, uh, overall, uh, with this UEFA Nations League? <laughs> one being Ventura. <laughs> I was surprised even rating him. Um, Mancini so far, I would say is six or seven, six and a half. Okay. Um, he's definitely far, far, far much better than Ventura, but he's not quite lippy, you know. Yet um, he's 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 getting there. Um, it seems like the players are buying into his system. It's just that he's got to get more goals. He's got to figure out a way to score more goals. And until then, I'm just going to keep him at a six or a seven. I'm going to say I'm going to say at a, I'm going to say he's at a seven and a half. Okay. I'm going to just go just a little bit ahead of you because I think that. He's laid down a foundation and identity for how he wants Italy to play, and that's something that was relatively lost under Giampiero Ventura. At least we kind of understood that he had a formation that he wanted to play, but the there was just, as I said earlier, there was no balance. Um, but I think he has implemented a system. I think the players look like they're really like excited about you know playing for the national team again. Uh, there's an enthusiasm with how they play and, you know, and going forward and some of the things that they're doing and creating. I mean, I hate to make the comparisons to Milan, but, you know, Gattuso's Milan. It was with, with Higuain now. It was a process. Uh, the goals were eventually going to come. They're scoring a lot. You know, Milan are scoring more goals now than they were at the beginning of the season by comparison. And I think we're going to have to just wait and be patient with this Italy team. Um, the... Style of play is there. The quality is there. The players are there, and they can do it. Now the goals need to come, and it, that's always going to be a process. I don't think we had designs on Italy winning this group and qualifying for the last four of the Nations League. That would have been a big surprise if they did, um, especially with two teams that reached the World Cup. Um, but I also felt they can avoid they're, – they're good enough to avoid relegation, and Mancini should at, at, at a minimum get them through that. When you got through the first two games, you're wondering, I don't think he cares about this Nations League. I think he just wants to try to get this all sorted out and get a system in place, and if right. it means getting relegated, so be it. Um, and then uh, you saw the Ukraine friendly, and then you saw the Poland game and the way they went out and attacked it and said, well, now we're, now Italy are in a position to go ahead and, and win this group if they do this against Portugal, Portugal fail to do this against Poland, etc. So now you're getting into the scenarios, which, you know, I wouldn't have thought that, you know, Italy would have been going into their fourth match of the Nations League with a remote, even a remote possibility of qualifying for the semifinals. So for that, he has to be commended. Um, he's got to solve the striker problem, um, and it is a problem. Now, he went false nine, and I hinted on Twitter in the second half. I said, I would have liked to have seen a false nine um, because Immobile clearly just wasn't getting it done. Um, <clears throat> you know, where, you know, and obviously Bernadeschi didn't make it, but, you know, Politano's been decent for Inter. 
could we go Chiesa, Politano, and then Insigne through the middle and let those guys just exchange? Yeah, Politano's uh, been scoring too, so. Yeah, let those guys exchange positions. That's not a bad thought. Um, you know, just as a suggest, just as a thought. Now, I actually don't hate the guys clamoring for Cutrone. I mean, you can't get it done with Immobile. Belotti hasn't been able to do it. He's still got, I mean, he's still got form issues at his own club right now. Um, you know, Balotelli is still the same guy that wants to just sit around for 60 minutes and hope a penalty or a free kick comes up. Uh, you know, so we, we burned through all of these guys. He's giving lasagna some looks. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think Cutrone needs to be the guy that now, uh, uh, gets the opportunity. I'd like to see that, uh, you know, over some friendlies or over, or over however they, um, how, however they implement him. I think that he's the next guy up, I think in terms of, of Italian strikers, um, you know, he, he can't be any worse than Immobile. Let's just, let's just put it that way. So I, I'm going to go seven and a half for Mancini. So, okay. Okay. That's cool. I like yeah. It. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's rate the players, and we'll start with uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma. Uh, he didn't have much to do, but when he was called upon, he made some saves, including that big save where he got down, and uh, I think it's Carvalho who got the shot, and he made a nice right-hand yeah. save. Um, I'm going to give him an 8, just because he wasn't he didn't have that much to do. But when he did, he, he, did, it, he did it well. But um, if he had more opportunity to, to be in this game, the score probably would have been higher. Um, but yeah, 8. I'm going to go seven uh, just because, you know, big save, yes. <clears throat> um, you know, he, he didn't stand out. I mean, he, he, to, 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 uh, to go eight or better, for me to go eight or better on anyone, you had to have really stood out. Um, seven for me on him. He, you know, he made the key save on, uh, on Carvalho, as you mentioned. One thing that I did, did note, um, looked a little more comfortable passing from out of the back um you know at least at, at you know when we watch him at milan it's kind of it's 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 fright night watching him uh trying to help keep possession but this might have been one of his best games passing the ball with his feet yeah um you know so that was something that i kind of made a note of that i that i thought yeah this is this is legit this is something that he 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 shows he can do let's see if he can he can be consistent at it now uh florenzi the right back you know, uh, coming into the matchup, I thought this would be a weak, weak link for the Azzurri, especially in defense. Um, I thought he did play well, though. Uh, he had a little scare early on against Daniel Bruma, but he had a good shot off um, that almost, you know, got, that came close. And overall, he was he wasn't bad. I'm gonna give him a seven. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go six. I would have liked to have seen him contribute more going forward, especially with the monopoly that Italy had uh, on possession and going forward. And maybe that was by design because of. Uh, because of Bruma's presence, um, but uh, you know, you know, we'll talk about Biragi here in a little bit. Certainly saw more out of Biragi going forward than I did out of Florenzi um, in this game. That's probably my biggest beef. I'll give him a six. It was he was okay. Um, didn't didn't hurt them, but really didn't add to anything. Uh, you know, in this one, uh, Bonucci. Uh, Bonucci. He seemed to have been distracted by all the booze at the San Siro. Um, and it seemed to have affected his game. He had a lot of turnovers in his game. Uh, now I know he had an opportunity to score that he headed wide. Um, so I'm going to give him a five and a half. Five and a half? Yeah. Yeah, five and a half is fine. Um, <clears throat> the partnership with Chiellini did a nice job on Andre Silva. Um, didn't 
connect on a lot of his. I don't think there was really his long passing game. There really wasn't anywhere for him to put the ball. Um, yeah. the way Portugal was organized. So, uh, so that kind of got nullified a little bit. He was, he was just out there for me. Uh, Chiellini. Uh, Chiellini was better. The two defenders. Um, I thought, uh, you know, like I said, he, he kind of dis- dis- made Andre Silva disappear. Uh, he had a big block on Daniel Bruma. Um, and it was his hundreds cap just for that. I'm gonna give him a seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a solid number. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you there on seven and a half. Pretty assured, pretty comfortable performance from him. Uh, Biragi. Uh, Biragi. Uh, I, like you said, I thought he was the better of the wingbacks uh, for for the Azuri. Um, he had, he had his ample opportunities to go off, go forward. You know, uh, pro- probably would have liked a little bit more crosses for him, but I thought he did pretty well. I'm gonna give him a seven and a half. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he was present going forward. Certainly tried to create some things. Uh, got linked up and, and and got involved in the attack. Seven and a half is a good score. I thought he had a, he had another solid game, starting to really you know lock down that left back position yeah. uh, for Italy in the national team, which is good to see. Um, Jorginho. Jorginho. Um, Jorginho was doing Jorginho things. Um, you know, being the guys pulling the strings in the back, um, looking for the for the big plays. Um, he had an okay game. He started out very well, and he got as the game went on, you could tell he was losing some steam. Uh, picked up the yellow, as we said. Uh, I'm going to give him a seven. Ooh, I'm going to disagree with you. I thought this was maybe Jorginho's worst national team performance. Um, I mean, he wasn't terrible. You know, let's you know, let me at least say that. I'm going to give him a five and a half. Okay. Uh, I expect better from him. I expect him to be more uh, decisive, more in, more, you know. I expect him to be able to break people down a little more with his passing. I didn't see that from him. He he did a lot of he did a lot of safe things. He obviously got the yellow, um, you know, which which certainly doesn't help the the resume here. Um, you know, he didn't cut anybody apart with his passing. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything dangerous. Maybe that was just by design. Uh, but um, I was I was underwhelmed with Jorginho in this game. So I'm going to give him a five and a half. Um, Am I wrong? <laughs> no, no, that's fair. Hey, that's fair. Yeah, we I, expect a lot from Jorginho, so you know he needs to be that man uh, that that leads the team uh, forward because he ha- he certainly has a vision that uh, not all the not all the midfielders have, you know. So for sure, for sure. Um, okay, how about uh, Marco Verratti? Marco Verratti. I mean, he wore himself out, which is only a good thing. Uh, he tried his heart out to try to get a goal. Um, I think he was the one who set up Immobile, who should have scored uh, there in front of goal. Um, and I know he he's, he opened up uh, some play for Baragi on the left-hand side as well. I thought he was pretty good. Um, certainly better than Jorginho. I'm going to give him I'm gonna give him seven and a half. Seven and a half? Okay. Um, I, I think he was, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sentiment that Baragi was Italy's best player. I certainly agree with that. And, I, you know, he'll get the eight from me in this okay. game. I thought okay. that the... Uh, especially early on in the first half, I thought the connection with Insigne was terrific. Um, I thought his ability to reverse the ball and find guys like Chiesa and, and Barella on the other side was uh, was good. And he picked the, he, he picked his moments, did it well. Um, you know, uh, still for his talent, would like him to influence things just a little bit more. But for me, for me, it was Italy's best player, so I'm going to give him an eight. Uh, Nicola Barella. Nicola Barella. Excuse me. Um, I thought he was the the middleman of the of the of the three man midfield. He wasn't as good as Verratti. He wasn't as bad as Jorginho. 
um he he looked he looked like a veteran out there you know he's he's young he's new to the azuri but he's he's acting like he's been there for a while and um it's a good performance from him i mean he could have done better for sure uh but could have done a lot worse i'm gonna give him a seven i'm I'm with you seven i thought he was influential he 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 created some things got off some crosses uh was a bit of a nuisance there for uh for portugal um on that side uh you know maybe the con- the connection with him and Chiesa maybe not as not as good as uh what we saw with Verratti and Insigne especially in the first half uh but uh y- you know I thought was solid um you know so uh so seven for me I thought you know Barella and, and Verratti from the positions that they played I thought they did a really good job in this game um uh Chiesa Chiesa um he he had some opportunities in the game. Uh, he came close. So he, he really should have scored on one play in particular in the first half, I believe it was. Um, lost his head a couple of times. I know. He, I think he got a yellow for the elbow on Marco Rui, Mario Rui, excuse me. Um, it was it was okay performance. Uh, I'm gonna give him a six. Um, he, he could have done a lot better. I expect a lot more from him from seeing him week in and week out. Um, it wasn't quite to the level that um, he can achieve for sure. You, so you gave him, you're giving him a six? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Six, it, meh. You know, you know, didn't uh, did some decent things, but didn't didn't overwhelm uh, Mario Rui. Mario Rui. Uh, I know Rui, Mario Rui did get a yellow card in this game, and uh, you know, did have his hands hold out. I think he did that when he felt he felt but but to get that yellow card, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, but uh, uh, and I thought that that would have been the player that you would have to go after in Portugal's defense, Mario Rui. He does, he does have his defensive deficiencies. Uh, and I thought that this is something where, where Chiesa certainly could have been a lot more influential than he was. Uh, so it's a six for me. Uh, Insigne. Insigne. I think Insigne, if you, if you look at the, the three forwards in this game, I think he was the better of the three. Um, he, he had some opportunities. Um, I know he had a, a great shot from distance that I think, uh, it forced the goalkeeper to make a big save. Um, you know, he tried linking up, especially with with the midfield, and in particular, Jorginho, who's you know from the Napoli. He has a connection there. Um, he still didn't do enough for me. It wasn't Insigne level that I expect, but it was the best of the three there. So I'm going to give him a six and a half. Um, uh, seven for me. Um, okay. I think that a lot of that. I think a lot of that is that the, the connection with Immobile is just not there. And I don't think that's on Insigne. I think that's on Immobile, um, which, we'll, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, you, know, you know, certainly tried to create some things. Uh, was a handful for Joao Cancelo uh, on that side. Um, and, uh, you know, especially in the first half. And I think that that seven is a product. He was probably an eight and a half in the first half and a six and a half in the second half. So he sits there and falls right in between. And what did I give him? Seven and a half? No, seven. Give him a seven, right? Yeah. So okay, so an eight in the first. He was an eight in the first half, but he was a six in the second half. He kind of lost his. He kind of lost his way as the game went on. Uh, so so a solid seven for me. Uh, and then finally, uh, you know, I think you're kind of getting an idea of what my number is going to be for Chiro Immobile. But I want to hear what you have to say. Oh, best player on the pitch. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, he he is not Immobile that we know. Um, he missed an open shot that he would have nailed nine and a half times out of ten in Syria. Um, he just, like you said, he's not linking up well with Insigne, not linking up well with uh, Chiesa or anybody else for that matter. 
Um, he seems like a deer lost in the headlights, and uh, I'm going to give him a five. Okay. I, uh, I will give him a five as well. Um, you know, just uh, y- you'd like to see Lazio, Lazio Immobile show up uh, in these national team games if he's going to get the opportunity, and you, 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 you wonder how many more opportunities he's even going to get. So, um, you know, really the, the, the missing link in that, in, in that attack for Italy yesterday um, and uh, rather disappointing uh, because of all of the players around him and all of the service that he could be capable of receiving. You, you know, you're spoiled uh, if you're the striker for Italy. When you consider you've got Insigne and, and Chiesa flanking you, you've got service coming in from Biragi, you know, Florenzi when he can get forward, you've got Verratti, and Jorginho, each capable of making cutting passes to get you played in. Uh, you know, Beretta has a little bit of that. It's an area of his game that I think still needs to develop. Um, but uh, the, 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 this Christ, Christ, uh, Christian Vieri in this national team would have, would have at least had a brace yesterday. I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not far yeah. off by saying that either. So, um, you know, when you think about some of the strikers and some of the poachers that, that Italy have had through the years um, – you know, that's, that's one that would definitely come to mind. Um, you know, but, uh, Christian Vietti is, uh, is, 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 is long gone and he's, uh, doing commentary instead. He's maybe a little too old for the game right now, but maybe he, maybe he would have bagged one if we put him out there. <laughs> Who knows? So at his, at his current age, but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's my take on Italy. Uh, that's your take on Italy. Um, any thoughts on the substitutes? I don't have a whole lot here. Um, nah, they're, they're better than Immobile, so. <laughs> yeah, they were all better than Immobile when they played, but, uh, you know, didn't have enough time to really put a lot of influence on the game. So, uh, go to Serie A, sit down at uh, Twitter or Instagram. Uh, if you've got ratings for the Itsuri, we'd like to see them. Uh, let's move on to some Serie A news. <laughs> Okay, Richard, a couple of coaching changes uh, that you want to uh, uh, discuss here. I don't necessarily want to, but I will. Um, First, the first first, uh, coaching change that happened kind of happened actually as Rocco and I were going on on the air last week, and it was um, Mimo Di Carlo, Dominico Di Carlo is taking over for the poor bastard of uh, Ventura at Kievo. Um, so he's a former player of Kievo. He's uh, he's taken over, and uh, yeah, we'll see uh, what he can do with Kievo. If he can do better than Ventura, I mean, Ventura got a point, I guess, before he left. But um, it's uh, big shoes to fill, trying to rescue that that sinking ship there at Kievo. And um, I don't know how long Di Carlo will last, but um, hopefully he doesn't resign. Hopefully he stays there. You know, the whole season or whatever, um, but hopefully it's not as pathetic as what Ventura's previous reign was. Um, and then the other change is that over at Udinese, um, a guy we both had high hopes for, Velasquez, uh, he had too many um, pitiful results, kept losing with the team, with a team as talented and as young as they are. Um, Udinese, decided, Udinese decided to go a different way, and they bring in the former Crotone manager, Davide Nicola, uh, who will take over the team, and so his job is to try to get them out of the relegation fight and uh, into a better standing with the fans. Um, it's a team that you and I think of the two that are we talking about right here. Udinese is the by far by far better team, or should be at least. And and if you look at the standings, they're really not that far apart. 
unfortunately for Udinese. And so, um, yeah, Nicola and uh, Di Carlo are tasked to try to improve on their predecessors. And uh, again, Velasquez, we had uh, we had tremendous high hopes for, and it just for whatever reason there was a there was a disconnect there between him and the players. And um, you know, he did he did try hard. At least he was a a better manager than Ventura. So, what do you make of these What do you make of these moves? I did the Kievo one. I mean. It's just mind-boggling, uh, you know. And I know that you and Rocco got to talk about uh, Ventura abruptly quitting, uh, you know, Kievo after, you know, not even finishing a cup of coffee, basically. Um, you know, this is a this is a strange one. Uh, but you know, whoever has this Kievo job, it's a it's an uphill task. Uh, nine points from safety. Um, you had the points penalty that you had to deal with. Uh, a defense that's the worst in Serie A right now. I've conceded 30 goals through 12 games. Uh, no sign of it even getting better. Uh, struggling to score goals on the other end, 10 goals from 12. Uh, it, Kievo is a real mess with really no sign of, of, of getting any better. Um, and I, I don't know if Ventura just decided to take the shortcut and say, hey, I, I, I'm in over my head. There's no way I can... There's no way I can help this club, not at my advanced age, not with not with my CV, not with where I'm at with things. Um, but uh, but the new manager, um, you know, we'll see. What's the new manager's name again? Domenico Di Carlo. Domenico Di Carlo. Okay. Um, I don't, I'm not familiar with him. So is he he comes from the uh, lower leagues, lower leagues, or yeah, his previous stints, uh, his teams that he's managed, uh, Mantova, Parma, back in uh, yes. twenty seven to twenty thousand eight, uh, Kievo two thousand eight two thousand ten, Sampdoria two thousand ten two thousand eleven, Kievo once again for another short stint, uh, Livorno, Cesena, and Spezia most recently. Okay, okay, so yeah, so certainly somebody that uh, you know has languished around the the lower divisions. Um, and uh, kind of a hey, if you want to, you want to imagine say, yeah, this is your chance. Uh, so he's taking it and, and going from there. Uh, the hiring of Davide Nicola, um, he knows how to get teams out of a jam. He did it with Crotone uh, their first year up. Uh, they couldn't sustain that on, unfortunately, in their second season, and he he got the boot for Walter Zenga. Um, but uh, at Udinese, you're hired to get fired uh, with the Pozzo family, and I think that Sonia has. <laughs> you know, has been on with us in the past and has said that many, many times. Um, so I had high hopes for Velasquez. I thought that this was, was going to be a very interesting hire, especially with some of the signings that they brought in. Uh, it just didn't, uh, it just didn't work out. I think the Sudanese team is much, much better than their table position. Um, you know, when I look at some of the teams that are ahead of them in the table, I think they're a better, I, th- I think that on, on the collection of talent that they have, they're better than Bologna. They're better than Spall. Um, and I would go far enough to say that I think that they're better than Genoa, um, but uh, you know it's it's been a uh, it's been a chore, and uh, for whatever reason, like you said, it hasn't hasn't gotten across with Velasquez. Maybe Nicola comes in, has a couple of fresh ideas, and the players get get some enthusiasm, and you know play to the to the talent level that I at least seem to think they have. Um, you know, Rodrigo De Paul is 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 definitely a talent there and is having a great season. Volfan is a good yeah. player. Yeah. Uh, Pusetto, Pusetto's having a nice season. He's proving to be a, a you know, a promising young player. Um, where Udinese are having their issues is they're not scoring enough goals considering the talent, uh, and they're also they're also conceding a fair amount. I mean, defensively, when you look at these bottom seven teams, 
18 goals conceded by comparison with those other teams. That's not bad. Um, it's better than all of the other teams except for Bologna. Uh, but there need to be some goals, especially with the talent that this team is that this team has. So that's going to be uh, Nicola's priority at this point. Uh, can he? And then you got Kevin Lasagna up front. Um, you know, so the, the the talent and the ability is there. How do you unlock opponents so that you can start generating more goals? Uh, and I think that that's going to be Nicola's first priority with Udinese. And let's see if he can make it work. Yeah, I could, yeah, I couldn't say it any better. Um, we'll see with these two teams, especially with Udinese, if they can really uh, turn it around. Now, uh, here's hoping they do. Yep, absolutely. Uh, another interesting news bit that uh, we want to discuss, uh, and uh, this is uh, via Football Italia. Uh, former Juventus director Beppe Marotta is reportedly already in China and will sign with Suning to join Inter within 48 hours. According to Corriere della Sera and La Gazzetta dello Sport, Marotta has already been in Nanjing since Saturday, has had several meetings with Suning patron Zhang Jindong and his son, Inter President Steven Zhang, uh, to discuss his role with the club. Um, it is a role that is independent of what uh, current sporting director Piero Asilio is doing. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. Your reaction to Marotta uh, being a part of the Interfront office? It's a it's a sneaky good move by Inter. They brought in a proven uh, a winner to help you know from the rivals. You know, obviously he's not there anymore, but um, yeah, it's gonna help them you know stabilize and increase upon what they're already doing, which I think is a product that is moving towards back to the top of Syria. Um, obviously, this year they're already in the top three, um, trying to challenge for that Scudetto, trying to take away from Juventus. Um, what better way to to dethrone Juventus by getting one of their own and and using them to maybe get something on the inside to find any way to to dethrone this monster that is Juventus? Um, I like it for Inter's sake. Uh, you know, Marotta, I'm sure has still plenty in the tank that he can contribute. Um, and he can. I mean, he he had such a he was in charge of such great Juventus teams while he was while he was there. So. Um, I think this is a good move for for Inter going forward, and um, I'm curious to see what how he how he puts his fingerprints on this on this uh, on this team and how he gets them to another level. Because that's what I want to see. He he's brought in to bring him to another level. Can he do it? We'll find out. He's a shrewd evaluator of talent, um, you know, and it obviously can't hurt uh, to have someone like that. Now, like I said, I going to be interesting independent of, of Piero Asilio who obviously being the sporting director is is you know helping to assemble the team that goes out there on the pitch so um so for me that's going to be an interesting dynamic and that's going to be an interesting partnership let's see how it works out um but uh you know part of a part of a Juventus staff part of a Juventus staff that um has uh, produced, you know, consecutive championships and just have this dynasty right now in Italy and in Serie A. So let's, um, you know, let's see what happens. It looks like this is a this is pretty much a done deal. Just uh, just some uh, some eyes to be dotted and some T's to be crossed uh, before it actually goes through. So, but uh, but by all accounts, Beppe Morotta joining Inter's staff um, there in the uh, front office. So. Uh, anything else, uh, on the peninsula that, uh, that's noteworthy, uh, Milan's injury crisis. Let's touch on that a little bit here. Um, you know, yeah. they, 
they went in, they went, they went into the international break with a mass unit and the mass unit has gotten a little bit bigger. Romagnoli pulled out of the national team, the Italian national team. Uh, Chalhanolu has pulled out of, uh, Turkey's national team with a foot problem now. Um, what kind of team is Milan putting out against Lazio next week? I mean, are we going to get called up? <laughs> we might. It's funny because one of our listener questions from at the only taps, his question was, who did Milan piss off in footballing world to be collecting so many injuries? And that's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who they're going to put out there. I saw the tentative lineup and the defense that's calling for Zapata in the middle with Abate and Ricardo Rodriguez. Lord help us now. That's going to be a, a long night for us uh, if that's the case. Um, I don't like the defense uh, potential one, one, one bit, but who else they got, right? Uh, right. It's so bad right now that they're talking about Tim Cahill bringing him in in January. I don't want him, but that's why that's why it's so it's so crazy right now because their three best defenders um, are all out with injuries. So, um, yeah, I don't know who they're going to put out there. Um, Castillejo is probably going to be there in attack um, with Cutrones since uh, Iguain is not going to be able to play. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be a mixed match unit, and you know this may be this will be an interesting game. It's, it, it, we'll see what kind of if if Lazio can implement themselves in this game and and push it really at Milan because that's really what you should do. If you if you face a wounded animal, you should you know really attack them and try to break them. And we'll see if they're gonna do that or they're gonna sit back and let Milan into the game get get confidence. That'll be very telling uh, this weekend. But um, yeah, it's 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 a mash unit. Absolutely, and uh, it's I don't know even who they're gonna have on the subs. Who are they gonna have on the field? But who are they gonna have as subs? They're gonna bring in Primavera, Primavera players to to fill the bench. Uh, it's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, gonna definitely be interesting. Let's uh, um, let's get into some of the other. Do you have the rest of the uh, listener questions? Uh, yes, I do. Let's let's uh, let's jump into them. All right. Um, so another question comes from at Jersey SoCal George Widmer the fourth. He asked, do you think Cagliari will be better than a mid-level Serie A club this season? Maybe even the next couple season. And he's asking for a friend, which I'm sure is him. <laughs> so yeah, Cagliari. Uh, currently they sit, uh, ooh, what is it, 11th in the table? Um, if 13th. 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 Yep. Yeah, not far off. Three points off of uh, 11th. So yeah, do you think that this Cagliari squad can compete in the top half of the table? There are some interesting pieces to this Cagliari team, first and foremost. I mean, so obviously, but obviously, Barella is at the forefront of that, and he's a hot commodity, and it's going to be a real challenge for the Sardinians to hang on to him. Uh, I get that Barella is a Cagliari product, you know, came through the youth system and so forth. Um, you have Pavoletti, who can bag the goals. You have Joao Pedro now, uh, you know, getting his legs under him after he had to sit out the first few games of the season. Um, you know, so some of those uh, elements going forward. Um, you have a veteran like Dario Serna, yeah. um, who at 36 still still has something to give, um, you know, and certainly can give leadership because there's a certainly there's a number of young players. You have Ragnar Klavan, who was a bit of a failure at Liverpool, and is at Cagliari looking to restore his career, and has been pretty decent so far. And then the goalkeeper Alessio Cragno, one of the young ones coming up. Um, so there are some very decent pieces to this Cagliari team. Um, the thing that I'm always bothered by with Cagliari, no matter who's wearing the shirt. Their away form is always awful. Um, now, they've gotten a couple of surprising results on their travels this season, uh, winning at Atalanta, most noteworthy. But they, that is always what has hindered them, um, you know, and has kept them consigned to that. 
you know, good enough to just be up, you know, never going to really be in a relegation fight, but 15th, 16th was the position they're going to be in. Now the players are there to, to do a little bit better. Uh, I don't think they're a top half team this year. There's no, there's, there's no way that happens. Um, but they can push 12th, 11th, you know, 13th, maybe to be safe. Um, and, uh, you know, they're 13th now, uh, you know, the, the, the pieces are there. If they can continue to grow together, it, they've, they've got the potential to do it. I just, I get concerned with their history as an away team, um, when they have to leave the Island and they have to go on the mainland and play it, it, it in most cases, it's not pretty. If they could play most of their, if they could play all their games in, in, in on the Island, then they would be a top half team. <laughs> they could be. Um, but if you look at the current table, they're 13th and they've got to beat three teams just to get to, to mid-table, right? Let's look yeah. at the teams ahead of them. Uh, Sampdoria, I don't think that's a team they can catch. While they are very uh, playing very oddly right now, um, to say the least, they are, yeah. they're loaded with firepower. Parma, Parma, they can ha- make, Parma can be had. Uh, Torino, they're up and down. Um, they could be had depending on what, what team shows up, but that's a, that's a, that's a hard ask. Fiorentina, I don't think they can overpass them. Sassuolo is a team they could overpass, you know, because you never know with Sassuolo. But Atalanta and the rest of the rest of the top, you know, top seven, I don't see that happening. So there's a chance they can maybe get mid table this season. In the future, hey, they got a lot of youngsters. If, if they find a way to keep Barella, keep Cragno, um, keep Pavoletti, keep some of these these core players and add to their team, whether it's with youngsters, talented youngsters, or some savvy vets like they did with Serna, um, sure. Hey, look out now because uh, no one likes to travel to, to Cagliari to play them because they are tough at home. Um, and then, like you said, they've always been iffy on the roads. And they got, if they can find a way, you know, ways to be more consistent there, um, yeah, in the future, they certainly can crack that top half. And like I said, this year, a stretch would be mid-table. Um, where they're at now is probably a good spot for them because they're overachieving. But there's teams, uh, there's also some teams that um, below them that are playing piss poor which is helping a lot so um it's not a bad team it's better than i expected them at the beginning of the season okay um you know and and just i it just it's honestly why would you not want to play for Cagliari? i mean, I mean yeah. the, the just the location um you know beautiful weather all year round um i don't think their winter their winters aren't that bad um if i'm not mistaken but they just showed some of the in the preseason, they in some of the preseason programming they showed some of the scenery in the island and uh, the beaches and stuff like that. And uh, you know, it's 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 close to a paradise that Italy can offer. Um, you know, so uh, so strange for me that uh, you, you you know, but uh, it's also the, the the club and the budget, and I, I get all of those uh, I get all of those uh, semantics that go with it. But but uh, yeah, uh, you know, Calgary's got uh, got got a decent got some decent pieces there, and uh, it's not out of the question. But uh, history has said otherwise, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll certainly see. Okay, we got one last question, and that's from uh, Michael Lisi. He's asking: okay. Is Piatek's fifteen minutes over? He's really come back to earth since playing a few decent games, considering all the injuries. Have you guys changed your opinion on how Milan, how high Milan could finish? I guess that's the second question. Um, so let's get the first question is on Piatic. Um, how do we think of this guy's form? And, you know, he's played the big boys now and he hasn't scored since uh, his nine goals. Um, do we think he has the wells dried up? Um, 
I think he got off to a fantastic start, no doubt about it. Um, but I think that, yeah, it's, it's, it's caught up to him. They actually, Genoa's had to actually play some teams here, uh, you know, with some better defenses. And I think he's found it a little bit challenging. Now, don't get me wrong. He has been able to carve out some chances in some of these games. But when you're playing, uh, when you're going through a murderer's row of opponents like Genoa just did, Juve, Milan, Inter, Napoli, uh, four out of the five, and then at home against Udinese where you thought maybe he could have scratched out a goal there. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not terribly surprising that he's, he's kind of coming back to the pack here, um, you know, considering the run of games. And then you got the Derby next week. Uh, and then at Torino, uh, and then hosting Spal. So maybe some opportunities to get back on the score sheet. But, uh, I think when you take a look at the Capocannonetti chart right now, he's at the top of it, but the, 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 the sharks are, the sharks are circling him. Look at that list. Yeah, Chiro Immobile, eight goals. Cristiano Ronaldo, eight goals. Mario Icardi, seven. Lorenzo Insigne, seven. Dries Merton, seven. So it's a matter of time before he gets passed up. Um, <laughs> You know, and then you go a little further down. Iguain's got five. <clears throat> you know, as far as the name brand strikers, um, so uh, it's not terribly surprising that he's gotten back to the pack, considering the teams that he's played. And I think uh, you know now it's all about those 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 players are going to uh, all going to be passing him uh, probably within the next month. Yeah, and all this. Remember, he went through the murders row, all with a new manager as well. So then that doesn't help things either. Um, so, you know, we'll see how he can acclimate, you know, to the new manager, but he's going to get his goals still. I think it's, it's hard to score against those top teams in Serie A. Um, after the Derby de la Lanterna, that's easy for me to say. Um, that's going to be a great opportunity for him to score. That game should be wide open, uh, considering how Sampdoria play. Um, they like to go for goals, but they give it, they're pretty wide open in the back. And so he'll have opportunities there and then. The schedule should be more favorable favorable for him to to get some goals. So we'll see. Uh, this next month is going to be telling for him if he can get back into scoring ways. All right, then maybe he is a real deal. If uh, if he can't, then maybe he's got to find a way to to change something up because maybe Syria is too tactical for him. I don't know, but this this guy had did have twenty one goals last year for Krakowia. Yes, in Poland, but um, still he has a nose for the net. He's still scoring for his national team. So. Um, Time will tell how he is, but this next month is going to be telling, and I agree with you. The the, the sharks are going to surpass him for sure during this next month, maybe in the ne- this next week. So, um, going on to the second question of Michael's uh, two part question, and his question was again: considering all the injuries, how have you have you guys changed your opinions on how high Milan can finish? Um, I believe we both said it was going to be fourth place. I think with uh, Milan, do we still think that? Yeah, I do. Um, injuries are a temporary nuisance. Uh, you know, when you get down to it, um, you know, right now, obviously there's certainly a laundry list, but let's remember Iguain suspended. Um, he's not injured. So, and he can influence games. He, you know, he's, uh, he's still in the frame. And you take a look at the, uh, the teams that Milan have coming up, uh, obviously at Lazio is going to be a challenge, but who, you know, Lazio, we're talking about Lazio and their stigma with dealing dealing with the top teams around them. I think even with a patchwork Milan team, they're going to have a chance. Um, then they host Parma, who um, who have suddenly struggled, uh, especially in away games. Uh, they host Torino, who have uh, you know been a little bit weird lately. Uh, you know, would probably be the best way, to, best way to put it. At Bologna, who should be much much better than they are, but are just grossly underachieving under Inzaghi. 
uh, and then hosting uh, hosting Fiorentina. This all before Christmas and Fiorentina, another one, wildly inconsistent. And then they've got um, you know before uh, before the new year, they're at Frosinone and they're hosting Spal. So while they have a laundry list of in- injuries, they have a navigable schedule here. While these players, while they, they recover these players and get them back, so I'm not terribly intimidated. I'm sticking to my guns and saying they're going to continue to finish. They're 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 going to finish fourth, uh, and and it's largely because I think Lazio is very flaky. Um, Roma, yeah, it's they're starting to gain a little bit of momentum. They're starting to win a couple of games here, but <clears throat> there's that mentality with Roma, and you you know it's going to show up again. Atalanta would out of the teams that are right now starting to come up from from behind. Atalanta is a team I'm definitely worried about. Um, you know, and, and, and certainly a threat for the top four. Um, but, uh, but I'm going to stick with, you know, I predicted Milan to finish fourth. I still think they're going to do it. Yeah, it's gonna, I think this weekend is going to be the telling, uh, tell, one of the telling games, I would say the two games against Lazio. Um, you know, this, it's going to be their main competitor for that fourth spot. Obviously there's Roma are still in it. Atalanta could sneak their way in there and, and who knows, maybe Fiorentina. Um, but it seems it's the fourth place in Condante Lazio and, and Milan as of right now. And, you know, I'm going to stick with my pick as well. I think, you know, this Milan club is, um, certainly has the, the firepower to compete and get in the fourth spot. It's just, you know, men- mentally, can they, can they hold it together enough and keep getting the goals? I mean, they're getting goals right now. They're the third highest goals per game team in the league, which is surprising, uh, considering where they started the season. So they're scoring the goals. It's just can they keep it together in the big games? And they played the majority of their big games. This is another one here, and it's very telling to see what kind of tactics, like you said, that Gattuso comes out against against Inzaghi's group um, should be very interesting. But I think, you know, this, this result this weekend will be a, a long way to see who gets that fourth spot in uh, in the Champions League. Not excluding Roma, but who knows? We, we'll leave them out for now. Yeah, uh, I mean, harsh to say that this is an elimination game for fourth place this early yeah. in the season, but yeah. but definitely uh, uh, definitely one that could go a long way in determining who grabs that fourth spot. Um, so uh, you know, so that's uh, <clears throat> that's our take on Milan. I'm not I'm not I'm not shying away from my prediction on them. I think they're still the I still still going to have the ability to finish fourth at the expense of the two Roman sides. And uh you know, what's uh, the, the the one thing that's kind of been surprising is that uh uh Napoli and Inter flip-flop based on our predictions. We thought Inter would be second, Napoli third, and there's still time for that to happen, but uh right now Napoli don't show any sign of uh of letting up. Um and certainly are tactically more astute that under under Ancelotti than they were under Sarri, but you know, looking at the table as we get ready for this, Richard, the top six are the the big six. Um, you know, Juve, Napoli, Inter, Lazio, Milan, and Roma. Um, Sassuolo, you have to think, are going to now start tapering off here. Yeah. Um, an impressive start. Atalanta is the one team. When I look at Atalanta, Fiorentina, Torino, and Sampdoria, Atalanta is the one team at this point that's going that that has any chance of breaking that mold. Yes. Yes, I agree. Based on current form, I would say they by far. Of those of those teams you mentioned, are the best chance of breaking up that that monopoly up top, the top six, um, they could get as high as fourth, in my opinion, because uh, that's how dangerous they are on the offensive end. You saw what they did to enter recently with a four-one thrashing. Um, so yeah, they they would be the team to break that up, and they could end a couple teams' uh, dreams there. So uh, keep an eye out for them. And things are nice and tight at the bottom. 
uh, Kievo notwithstanding. Frosinone starting to finally accumulate some points and maybe play to their potential a little on seven. Empoli and Udinese on nine. So it's Empoli and Frosinone in the drop with Kievo. Uh, Udinese just a, just tied on points, but edge out Empoli on goal difference. Bologna sitting there on 10, Spall on 13. Um, hey, we have a dogfight on our hands, Richard. It's good. It's, it always seems to be a fun relegation fight, and this year is notwithstanding. Uh, there's about five teams right now, maybe six if you include Spall. So, uh, yeah, end of the season is going to be fun again. It's just uh, those middle teams, those mid-table teams, are when when they start dropping out by not caring, that's when the races will be more interesting, you know, with, between the, the relegation fight and the Scudetto fight. Okay. Your thoughts on uh, what's going on here in the table through the first 12 matches? Go to at City. I'll sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Let's wrap this up with a quick preview of match week 13. All right, Richard, we uh, we will resume. With, I mean, clear, Italy against the USA. Let's just make a side note on this one. I mean, these are the two nations that I support and uh, uh, never, never have I, never has there been a match between the two that I that I've cared less about than this one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair to say. I mean, it's Mancini's already said he's gonna he's gonna completely rotate the team, which you would expect him to. The USA doesn't even have a head coach yet, um, which is an embarrassment. Uh, that yeah. uh, you know, okay, you 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 elect a president, you hire Ernie Stewart as a general manager. How do you not have a head coach installed at this point? Um, and what are you waiting for? And who are you waiting for? Um, you know, and it's uh, it, it, it's getting a little bit concerning that in in that respect. So. Uh, don't have a whole lot of interest in that friendly. I might peek at it a little bit, but uh, I'm not going to be, you know, rearranging my schedule to watch it. I'll just, you know, I'll just leave it at that. So um, we come back and uh, Davide Nicola will make his debut, Richard, against uh, Roma uh, as Udinese's manager. Uh, Juventus hosting Spal, Inter hosting Frosinone. Um, so uh, three of the four teams in action uh, uh, three of the four Champions League teams in action on Saturday. Uh, and then the Sunday slate, Parma and Sassuolo. Um, do you wake up early? Well, you're going to wake up earlier in the morning anyway because you have a baby. Correct. Um, but uh, I don't know if I'm – this might be a one of those fun bad games where there's going to be like five goals. There will be an open game. Uh, uh, Pace FC, as everyone's labeling Parma, they got speed and uh, Sassuolo's got – you know they've got some talent on their team as well. So it could be some goals in this, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah now that we hyped it up, it's going to end, end nil-nil. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's how it works. It um, is. Uh, Bologna, Fiorentina. Uh, Empoli hosting Atalanta, uh, so Yakini round two uh, against uh, Gasparini. Uh, still think that was a stupid sacking, uh, but Yakini won his first game, so you can't get you can't question it too much. Um, Napoli host Kievo. Um, uh, prayers for Kievo for that one. Uh, Lazio hosting Milan. Uh, then we have the Derby della Lanterna, Genoa and Sampdoria, and then Monday night, next Monday night, Cagliari hosting Torino. Um, we can talk about we can talk forever about Lazio Milan. That's obviously going to be the marquee game in terms of name brand. But the Derby della Lanterna is one of these special derbies in world football that flies under the radar. Uh, so let's uh, let's give them their uh, let's give them their due, especially considering 
the tragedy um, with the bridge collapse uh, at, way back in August. Yeah, this will be a special game for sure. This will be a game, actually the game I'm going to be more more, more tuned in to see because I love derbies, and, and this one is a special one. The crowd really gets into it, so I can imagine it will be tenfold after you know what happened in this August. So um, it should be a an enthralling game. It should be a lot of goals, you know, considering the way Sampdoria play. They, they play wide open. They like to score goals, um, but they also give up a lot. Um, and Genoa... We'll be we'll take only that Piatek is probably you know licking his chops you know hoping to face a team that has a wide open defense like like Sampdoria so it should be an entertaining matchup if not for the crowd but for the game as as well so um, I'm going to be looking forward to this game absolutely. Uh, I just want to see the Cameron uh, Ferrero uh, absolutely the game. absolutely he's 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 worth the watch uh, just on his own so uh, but the I I think the atmosphere. I'm looking forward to the atmosphere for this one. I think that it's going to be a, a I think it's going to live up to the billing. I think it's going to be a great match. Um, I, I it may turn up in my fearless five predictions. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. So, um, but, uh, uh, but you know, let's jump back to Lazio Milan. Um, Lazio really need to win this game. If, if anything to prove that they, they can eat at the big boy table and play the big teams and get the results. Uh, Milan, coming in as a wounded animal, uh, they may not, you know, I don't think they're going to play as tight and, and, and as, as compact as you've seen against Napoli, Juve, and Inter. I think even with the lineup that Gattuso is going to put out, I, I, I expect Milan to have a go at Lazio because they have, they have gone there and won there before. They did it last year. And um, excuse, they did it in the Copa. They didn't do it in, in the league. Um, a win's a win. But a win's a win, exactly. Um but but uh, I think that considering that it's going to be a undermanned Milan side going to the Olimpico, I I expect Milan to play loose. It seems like, and maybe this is just me, Frank. And maybe you can you can attest to this, but it seems like Gattuso doesn't rate the Roman clubs as well as he does, you know, Inter, Napoli, and and Juventus because he doesn't seem to play scared against them against the other three. Yeah. He, he drops back, plays defensively, and doesn't look like the team we were used to seeing against the Roman clubs. You know, no disrespect to them, but he thinks he acts like there must be not n- nothing compared to Milan. So he play he plays his normal style game, and that's when Milan plays attractive football. Um, I you know it should be interesting. To, we'll see. We'll, I mean, we'll see if that that holds true with the, with the mis- mishmashed group of uh, players he has. But if they come out attacking, this could be um, a favorable result for Milan. Um, well, we'll see what Milankovic Savic if he shows up, if if Luis Alberto shows up, and Immobile is gets his flight back from Milano. Um, but it's uh, it's gonna be an interesting game, no doubt about it. And um, yeah, I mean Lazio, this is their chance to say, like you said, they 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 tend not to do well against the big teams in in, in Serie A. This is their chance to say, you know what, we're for real this time. We're we're going for the Serie A. We're pissed off about losing to Inter last game of the season last year, so. Um, this is their chance to make a statement. While it's not a, a, a fourth place make or break game, um, it certainly can put their their foot down to say, "Hey, we're we're ready to play with the big boys now." Who needs this game more? Honestly, I think Lazio for their for their mentality. I, I think Milan they would love to win, and they they're certainly capable of winning. I think Lazio if they if they don't win this game, they're going to start thinking of themselves as a second-rate team in, in the, against these big teams. Like, oh, we can't ever win the game. We can't ever win the, get over the hump. Uh, we know that's not the case, but I think Lazio need to win this game in terms of saying that they're for real. 
I think I'm going to agree with you on that. I, I mean, Milan are going there with a, a, a an underman side. They're going there without Iguain. Yeah, you know they're going to go in. They're going to give it their. They're going to give it their best. They're going to try to get something out of the game. And if they don't get anything out of the game, they're going to say, "Hey, we had nothing to lose, and we'll have plenty of time to make up the points." But if Lazio don't get something out of this, um, that's now 0 for five against the big five uh, that they have to play against. They have lost to every one of them. They lost to Inter. They lost to uh, Juve. Um, they lost the derby to Roma. They lost to uh, they lost to Napoli. Uh, did they play Napoli yet? Yeah, that was say. a close game early in the season. I think it was two one. Yeah, the beginning of the season, right? They lost two one. So um, they and they lost to Inter, right? I want to say they played Inter and lost. Yeah, they lost three 0 I believe they did. Yeah. Yeah, back on the back on back on October 29th. So that will be played five against the teams that are supposed to be around them and lost all five. Um, they've got to get something out of this one. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, if you want to really have fun with it at Atalanta for them on December 17th, all of a sudden would become a massive, massive game for them. Because if you're talking about breaking the mold, Atalanta breaking the mold of the top six, Lazio would be the most vulnerable considering they can't beat the teams around them. So, um, I think Lazio are certainly, certainly going to be the more desperate team in this game as far as getting, as far as needing the win. Uh, so uh, we'll see what what happens with that. Do you see a shock in any of these games? <sighs> Let me look at the schedule again. Do I see a shock? Um, all right, Udinese Roma should be should be uh, fairly straight up, but the new manager there, Juventus Spal should be should be Juventus Inter. Nothing there. Um, I am going to say Kievo. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say Kievo. There's no chance, no chance of that. Um, and I can't really call Parma or Sassuolo a, an upset there. Um, I am going to say if there is an upset, it's going to come from Udinese Roma. I think I'm Udinese, with you. I'm with you. Yeah, new manager in town. You know, at home, why not? Roma might just be looking ahead to that game with Real Madrid. Exactly. Uh, at midweek, it's just it's a trap. I think the Zudanese game is a trap game for sure. So, um, uh, so we'll see what happens. That will probably maybe be my shock of the week pick when I do put the Fearless Five together. So, uh, your thoughts on the uh, match week thirteen slate at Serie A? Sit down on Twitter uh, or Instagram uh, with any opinions that you might have. Um, but until then, we will put a bow on this edition of Serie A. Sit down. Time for the shameless plug, uh, Richard. You first. Yes. Um, I want to give a quick shout-out to podcast Rosaneri Sfierga. That's uh, the Swedish Ros- uh, Rosaneri podcast. I was a guest on them on their show today. Uh, so that will probably come out in the next uh, couple of days or so, I would imagine. Um, other than that, uh, again... Did you, you know, for- did you did you brag about how handsome you were on that podcast, too? You try to <laughs> you'll, have, you'll have to stay tuned to listen to find out. Okay. <laughs> uh, I also want to give another shout out again to uh, to Rocco from last week. We had technical difficulties, but he was a fantastic guest. Um, so, so I'm glad he could get his second cap in quick succession. Um, I only wish to, that the audio came out better. But uh, yeah, other than that, you can find me pretty much anywhere at r underscore k h a r m a n. Wonderful. And Rocco, uh, yes, thank you very much for uh, covering for me at the 11th hour. Um, you can find me at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. Uh, the uh, Fearless Five will have a new one this week. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, the last uh, going into the break, I think I got three out of five right. 
so that puts me at 32 out of 60 for the season. So still, still more than half. Still, uh, uh, still, uh, still, still in the in the uh, uh, in the black, as they would say, uh, if, if people were actually <laughs> investing in this. Not by much, but uh, but still, still getting it done. So, um, you know, so we'll have a new Fearless Five this week. Uh, likely on Twitter, if I can put up a video on that, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly do my best. So, uh, you can go to at Seria Sit, at Seria Sit Down on Twitter, um, or Instagram, uh, follow us there, uh, subscribe to us at iTunes and SoundCloud. We also can be found on Stitcher Radio. Um, do check us out, uh, you know, at all of those places, um, we would uh, certainly appreciate it. It means a lot to us. And I uh, want to thank you for taking the time to uh, listen to us here uh, at City. I sit down a podcast of World Football Index. For Richard, I'm Frank. Uh, be sure you're telling your paisans about us. Ciao. <laughs>